Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. How many of you are dancing already here this morning? Good stuff, huh? Okay, I'm going to start out with an easy question. How focused are you? How focused are you? Now, as you think about that question, just think you don't need to raise your hands. not asking for that. How many people here, again, don't raise your hands because it's probably a lot of you. How many here, like, watch TV while you're also, like, searching the internet on your phone? Or how many people are on the phone with somebody, like you're talking to them, right, while you're texting someone else? How focused are you? And I ask this question because to live a focused life, I tell you what, has incredibly empowering results. In fact, studies show that the more focused you are, the more peaceful you are. I mean, in a world overtaken with stress, you can actually know peace. So basically, an unfocused life is a turbulent life. A focused life is a peaceful life. So how is your life? The more focused you are, the more engaged you are. I mean, engaged with your work, engaged with others, engaged with God. And the more focused you are, the more in control you are. Instead of running on empty, running helter-skelter, trying to finish the laundry list of tasks, you'll be more in control, which allows you to focus on the best things. Think about that. And the more focused you are, the more positive you are. Because unfocused people are often stressed people who are short with others. So a focused person, they're more free. They're much more positive. And the more focused you are, the more understanding you are. Understanding of the issue in front of you. More understanding of the needs of others around you. And then the more focused you are, the more decisive you are. Rather than feel like your mind is kind of clouded over by stress and anxiety and confusion, you're going to see things more clearly, which will help you make the best decisions very quickly. There are so many benefits to being focused. And that brings us to our Jeopardy question for today. Okay, I actually want you to say this out loud, and I want you to give me the question. Here's the statement. This one activity has diminished our ability to focus from 12 minutes down to 5 minutes. What? Uh, You're close. Cell phones. What is technology? What is technology? It's it's diminished our ability to focus from 12 minutes down to 5 minutes. And I think that's interesting because even though we know that technology in many ways impedes our focus, we keep pursuing more and more and more of it, don't we? And why would we pursue more of the things that give us less focus, less peace, less understanding, and less engagement, less life? I think one reason why we do so as Christians is because we live in the middle, We are in the land in between. You see, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And the reality for us now, though, is we are not in heaven. We are here. We're in the middle. And so while we all know that we need more of what's up there down here, we know the fullness of God's kingdom will not be fully realized until Jesus returns. 
In the meantime, we're called to pursue God's heavenly kingdom now while remaining in the brokenness of this world that we're in. And it can be hard, it can be confusing. That's why when writing to the Romans, Paul wrote these words, and he referred to this middle ground as a war between the spirit and the flesh. Which one are you focusing on, he's saying. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So where's your focus? He says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He says there's a battle going on, so where are you focusing? Because we need to live here like we belong there. So how do we live rightly? How do we live righteously? One simple word, focus. Focus. Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to open them up. In fact, the Bible's in front of you in the pews, uh, page 1678. You can open your iPad, you can open your iPhone, but I'd like you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start there in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, again, page 1678, if you're looking at the Bibles in front of you. And I'd like you to take a look at that passage that's in front of you right now. And before we start reading, before we start going through it, I'd like you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Here we go. This is my Bible, God's Word. If I read it and respond to it, it will change my life. And it will. And today it's going to help you to focus. Listen now to the Word of the Lord. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, focus, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, focus, on things above, not on earthly things. So here in two verses, Paul tells us to focus twice. He says, set your hearts, that's zeteo in the original Greek, to crave, to aim at, to focus. And then also set your minds, phroneo, to direct, to strive for, to focus. And he tells us to focus in two different ways because he knows our tendency to live unfocused lives. You see, our hearts can emotionally lead us astray. It can lead us all over the place to places of confusion if we allow our hearts to lead us. And our mind can stubbornly lead us in painful directions. We've, we've all seen the results of that. So where are you focusing? I don't refer to the message version all that often, but I like how the message version actually restates verses one and two. Listen to these words. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. So basically saying, focus, focus. Don't be satisfied with less focus, which only brings you less joy, less peace, less engagement, less clarity, less understanding, and less life. Pursue more, more focus, which means more Jesus, more understanding, more peace, and more life. 
Instead of shuffling around with your eyes to the ground, look up to where Jesus is found because that's where the action is. Look to him. In light of that, please say this next verse with me. It's a short one. Hebrews, can you put that up? Let's say this together. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's say that again. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Can you imagine what your life would look like if he did that? Can you imagine? And here, Paul, back to Colossians 3, verse 3, he tells us why we should pursue that kind of focus. He says, for you died. Spiritually, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul's reminding us here that when you choose less, you choose death. When you choose less, you choose death. And that's a problem, he says, because when you chose to follow Jesus, you already died to yourself. One pastor put it this way. The point isn't just that Christ has lived, died, and been raised again on our behalf. The point is that we have died and been raised with him. So friends, the more we depend upon and draw upon Christ's life, which has been implanted deep within us, that means the more we're going to become capable of doing things and acting and living in ways that we can never do on our own. But to get there, we got to stop shuffling around with our eyes to the ground. We need to focus on where Jesus is found. That's why Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, focus on things above. So I ask again, how focused are you? How focused are you? So many people living unfocused lives. And when we do that, we're thinking, well, this is good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And we gotta try to keep them all going, you know, at the same time like a juggler. And when we do that, we kinda live a life that says, you know, Jesus is great, but he's just not enough. The problem, and the truth is this, Jesus plus something equals spiritual confusion. I think we live in a country right now where Christians know a whole lot of spiritual confusion. Well, Jesus plus nothing equals a focused salvation. Which have you embraced? Because I would say far too many Christians are still on the Jesus plus something plan. Friends, it's important we all remember that when we died and were raised with Christ, we died to everything in the plus category. I'll say that again. When we, when we died and were raised again with Christ, we died to everything in the plus category. It's why Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So Paul is saying that to fully focus on things above, we need to die to the very things which keeps us grounded right here. In fact, Jesus said it differently. Same thing, though. He, he told us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. To take up your cross means to die to yourself daily. And when Jesus said daily, he meant daily. Not once a month, not whenever we feel like it, not whenever we've grown tired of that plus category thing that didn't really work. Jesus said daily. And so in order to live focused lives as followers of Christ, we need to die to whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Notice the word your. Why? 
but because your earthly nature might be slightly different than mine. I mean, whatever you may have chosen to embrace or are tempted to embrace in your plus plan may hold very little interest to me. And whatever I find alluring that I'm tempted to embrace in my plus plan, you might find completely useless. And that's why in just a few verses, then Paul addresses various possibilities to which we can all relate. So are you ready? Are you ready? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. As I begin to read these verses that are right there before you, if you opened up your Bibles there, I'm going to ask you to help the Lord, help you to focus on those things that you're tempted to or have already embraced in your plus list. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Now friends, it's so important that we be honest with ourselves and with God when it comes to this list. And I say that because the more we embrace something on this list, the more we're going to look like what we worship rather than who we are to worship. So let's go back to the list because I want you to notice how strategic Paul is here. See, some people read that, they think, well, it's just kind of a laundry list, a random list of various things that might be true to you. The reality is he's very strategic. He chose two strategic categories, which are real to all of us. And then Paul divides this list into two groups of five. So the first group would be called sins of desire. And in this group would be found immorality, which means any sexual activity outside a husband-wife relationship. Have you engaged in anything like that? And then impurity, any activity chosen with unwholesome intentions. And then lust, any activity chosen by our emotions, not our devotion to Christ. And then evil desires, any activity which pursues what we know is wrong, we're just going to do it anyway. And then greed, any activity which seeks what is not ours or has not been given to us. When it comes to those things that we desire, the brother of Christ said, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So be honest with yourself and God, are any of those things, those activities on your plus plan? Because then Paul talks about the second category, sins of anger. Now I want you to think of it like this, this is how Paul's trying to get us to think of it, that when it comes to anger, it can become like a seed from which other sins grow. That's why Paul lists anger first. Anger is growing antagonism due to a wrong or a perceived wrong committed against you by another. It feels very personal. But let's pull back from that definition for a moment and just state the obvious that anger in and of itself is not wrong. It's not a sin. I mean, there are many things you might experience in life which should cause you to be angry. 
Like when you witness someone being mistreated, disrespected, or abused, you should get angry. When we witness someone being maligned due to their skin color or social standing, we should get angry because they're horrible things. And even so, these may not be wrongs personally committed against you. So when you feel you've been wronged, here's the thing. The anger you allow to grow within you can soon get the best of you and then come spewing forth from out of you. And that leads to rage, Paul says. Uncontrollable anger which violently hurts others. Or malice, intention to cause pain, injury or distress to another. Or slander, false statements which damage the reputation of another. Or foul language, words spoken out of anger which damages yourself and others. Are any of these on your plus plan? Now I know what some of you might be thinking. You're thinking, okay, Phil, you know what? I know that all those things on those two lists, they're bad. But of all those things listed, which sin is the worst? My answer, the one you're about ready to commit. The one you're about ready to commit. And whatever that sin might be for you, Paul tells us, each one of us, myself included, to get on the offensive, and he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Put on the new self. So Paul is saying, you know what? I know how you're dressing. You're spiritually dressing in layers, which is very stylish. Nothing wrong with dressing in layers. In fact, we're gonna talk next week about these layers, the good layers he wants us to put on. And I, I encourage you to come back next week, bring someone with you. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But Paul is saying, I see how you're dressing. You're dressing in layers, but here's the problem. Before you put on those layers, you're going to the wrong wardrobe. You're going to the wrong wardrobe, which means you're dressing with the wrong layers. And that's why Paul says, put on the new self. He's telling us to dress like Jesus so we can look more and more like Jesus. That means falling in love with him. Falling in love with him over and over and over again. There's different ways we can do that, but one practical way, I just wanna kind of lay it out there, a practical thing, is I encourage you this next week or so to go see Jesus Revolution at the theaters, the Jesus Revolution. True story about a time in our country very much like the time we're facing right now. Division and all kinds of drugs running rampant through the culture. And out from that came a love for Jesus that completely spread across our country. We need more of that. I encourage you to go see the Jesus revolution because we all need to focus on Jesus. We all need to fall more and more in love with Jesus. But to do that, we gotta stop shuffling around with our eyes to the ground. We need to look up to where Jesus is found. And to do that, we gotta stop dressing in our old wardrobe. So that means then, in order to put on Christ, you're gonna have to take off those things that make you look like someone else's follower and dress like him, to put on him. The word enduo in the Greek means to take on the character of something or someone to be so saturated in it that you become just like it. An example would be a method actor. I love a good movie, just recommended one. 
But whenever an actor plays a true life character who once lived, they will study every aspect about that person. How that person walked, their mannerisms, how they talked, the tone of their voice. You know, how they dressed. I mean, were they kind of, did they have like jeans or were they all dressed up in a suit all the time? I mean, every aspect of them so they could look just like them. And so in order to put on or in duo Jesus means to spend so much time with him, falling in love with him, just listening to what he says, studying his ways that you start walking like him and talking like him so eventually you look just like him. And that requires focus, focus. A focus on Christ rather than a focus on our culture. And this is what's happening. It was happening back when Paul was writing. It's happening now. That Christians were so focused on their culture and through the lens of culture trying to see Jesus rather than focusing on Jesus and seeing how Jesus could transform how they engage with the culture. Where is your focus? A focus on Christ or a focus on our culture. Paul says, you live a focused life, a life focused on Jesus. Well then, here then, in this community, there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And Paul is saying here that if we're going to enduo Christ, if we're going to put on Jesus Christ, we have to avoid our tendency to embrace tribalism. Tribalism. Being organized into a tribe to embrace the expectations of the tribe. Now, don't mishear me, because many people would say, well, this is my tribe. They would say, this is my family. That's a good thing, right? People have their different tribes. But here's the problem. You know, when friends within your tribe or friends within your group start demanding that everyone act the same, have the same values, the beliefs, or actions, or you are canceled, well, that's tribalism. And we've seen the result of tribalism in our country over the past couple of years. And that's why Paul's warning us here. He's saying, if you are not careful and you focus on the culture, you will not put on Jesus. Rather, you will put on the expectations of whatever group you are in or whatever group you're attracted to. So we gotta understand the difference. Because you see at the base level, every single one of us here, watching a line here in this place, you all grew up as part of one group or another. In fact, you probably grew up in, in a variety of different groups at the same time. For example, when I grew up, I was part of the Dutch group, because I'm Dutch. I was also part of the white group, because I'm white. Also part of the reformed group when it comes to theology, because that's what my parents raised me in. And those aren't bad things in and of themselves, they can be good things. But as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I gotta be really careful regarding certain expectations from each group so I don't become tribal. For example, the Dutch group might expect me to be stingy and opinionated. <laughs> they do. There's a famous Dutch saying, if you don't know it, it's this. If you're not Dutch, you're not much. <laughs> so that group wants me to be like opinionated, stingy, always right. The white group might expect me to place a certain political party on equal ground with my faith. 
And that might hold true if I'm part of the brown group or the black group too. And the reform group might expect me to believe that only a small number of people were actually chosen by God to go to heaven. The majority he long ago condemned to hell, so there's no point in sharing the gospel with them. And then I don't care for people, I just kind of live to myself. So rather, I should focus on Christ so I can duo Christ, put on Christ. And that means, for you and for me, that Christ always comes first, not the group. And that's why Paul reminds them, reminds us, and he breaks things down into these groups or these tribes, so we'll understand how we function in them. First is the ethnic or national tribe, Jews and Gentiles back then. See, for the Jew back then, there were two types of people, Jews and non-Jews. And back then, the Jewish people thought these Gentiles, these Greeks, they might be human beings, but they're less than They're not equal compared to us. And that's a problem. Friends, racism has no place in the church. And I think we gotta live every single day of our lives knowing that we don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. And any person who claims to be a Christian and holds contempt for a person of another ethnicity is not putting on Jesus Christ. They're not. For example, here at MCC, we believe that since Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we should pursue a bit of heaven right here on earth. And so while you can find other churches that consist of people who all share your same skin color, whatever that is, or you can find churches that consist of people who are at exactly the same age level as you, we believe that in order to embrace God's kingdom, Our church should be made up of people of every generation so we can learn from one another. And our church should be made up of people of every ethnicity who truly value and love one another. We believe this is to enduo Christ, to put on Christ. And this leads to the other group he mentions, the religious tribe, circumcised or uncircumcised. So he's drawing things down to two different groups back then, the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you study some of Paul's writings, you'll find that he is constantly trying to get these two factions to get along with one another. Because in their minds, they were forming different denominations within the same church. And their denomination, of course, was best. And that kind of spread on the years that followed. So today in our world, we have Baptists and Presbyterians. We've got Methodists and Lutherans and Charismatics, just to name a few. And one problem with this is that the world looks at all of our denominations and they see hypocrisy and division. They don't see Jesus. In response to this, we should enduo Christ, put on Jesus Christ, which produces unity. We'll talk about that next week. This leads to the culturally political tribe, barbarian and Scythian back then. You see, when the Jews divided the world into Jews or Gentiles, the Greeks... They often divided the world between Greeks and barbarians. Now, it doesn't take a high level of intelligence, right, to understand that a barbarian, that's like a derogatory term, right? Who wants to be called a barbarian? A barbarian back then, think about this, included any foreigner or immigrant or refugee. A barbarian, a foreigner, immigrant, or refugee. And then Paul took this even further. 
because he mentions Scythians. And these were hardest for some people to love because they were known for their low level of crudeness. It's like how some people in Montana might view those living in New York City, if you know what I'm talking about. Right? We tend to view people in this way. We struggle with them because we don't understand them. And Paul tells us, you know what? While other Christians might seem different to us, they are to be considered valuable by us. That means we we pursue worshiping alongside of them rather than apart from them. Then Paul dresses another tribe, the socioeconomic tribe, slave or free. In other words, slave has horrible meanings to so many people in other countries and in our country as well due to the history of slavery. We gotta have to understand here in the first century that Paul is writing here, a slave was merely one person who owed a debt to another. That's why he wrote in 1 Corinthians, for example, you were bought with a price to not become slaves of human beings. You see, back then, someone became a slave by securing a significant debt from somebody else. Today, we call that home ownership, or driving new every two. And Paul would say, you are all, if you do that, you are slaves because you're slaves to somebody else. You're not living in freedom. A free person back then was debt-free and a slave carried a debt which needed to be paid off. But when you pull back from that, you don't, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand what group thought that they were best. And Paul says, through all of this, if you truly focus on Christ, if you put on, if you enduo Christ, You will know that you are part of a new humanity, that you're part of a new community, and you're part of a group who welcomes with open arms those of every ethnicity, country, denomination, party, heritage, language, class, or status. For here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Isn't that beautiful? In order to live that way, we gotta stop shuffling along with our eyes to the ground. We need to focus on Jesus and where he's found. We need to focus on things above. Ways to do that, first, focus your thoughts. Focus your thoughts. Paul wrote, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Imagine what your life would look like if you thought like that. Our culture wants us to think on other things. That's why they try to get our attention every which way, to focus on things that are not true, that are not noble, that are not right. So focus your thoughts. And then focus your heart. The writer of Proverbs tells us that the way to focus your heart is actually to guard your heart. You see, in Scripture, the heart represented your will, your feelings, and your desires. And that's why the Bible says to protect your heart from those things out there which are deceitful and divisive. Focus your heart. Protect it. One action step you might want to take on since it's the Lenten season, maybe turn off all of your social media for the next month. Think of how free you will live. Think of how you'll start viewing other people differently and beautifully. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Third, how do you focus on things above? Focus on God's perspective. 
Because if we do that, we're going to know the difference between these lies and deceptions that are out there and truly know God's will. And to do that, I encourage you to take a look at Jesus. I mean, what occupied his time? What were his priorities? How did he relate to the world? Jesus told his disciples and us, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what does it look like to make Christ's food your food? To focus on God's perspective. And to help you do that, then focus on God's wisdom. And in order to focus on God's wisdom, we first have to humbly admit that our wisdom is not all that wise. It's why the writer of Proverbs says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Rather, acknowledge that all wisdom comes directly from God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then ask God to give wisdom to your life. Brother Christ wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Bottom line, the more I focus on Christ, the more former allegiances die so Christ can live in me and through me. The more I focus on Christ, the more former allegiances die so Christ can live in me and through me. So together, let's pursue more focus. More focus. Not Jesus plus, but Jesus only. And let's stop shuffling around with our eyes to the ground. Instead, look up to where Jesus is found because he is where all the action is. Let's focus on him. Let's put on him. Let's dress like him so that people see Jesus in us. Will you pray with me? God, there are so many different directions our culture wants us to look. If it can just get us distracted, it could keep us from being effective. And if in all that distraction, it can cause us to look at things that are divisive or hurtful to us, well, it wins. And then we start going down one road or another. Help us, Lord, to focus. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, despite all of the many options that are out there, help us to look to you, to only you, so you can do a beautiful work in us and through us as we look only to you. We fix our eyes on Jesus so we can become more and more like Jesus. This is our prayer. Hear us now, we pray, Lord. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.